We are. We're we're a minute early. Should should we start it all over again? Yeah. Yeah. Cut it out. Let's go back to the green room and hang out for a little bit. <laughs> are we live already? Yeah, we're live. Sweet. Very live cool. Very cool. So, first off, off the bat, we have some special special news for you guys. As you can tell. Chris has been fired and has been replaced by the one and only Mr. Jim Bergman, who's now <laughs> going to be a permanent staple of our show. Every single week, without a doubt, he's never going to miss an episode. Now, truth is, I trimmed my beard, and uh, Chris came on earlier in the show. He didn't recognize me, and his mom said, don't talk to strangers, so he clicked off right away. <laughs> so he won't be here tonight because he's scared of things. Actually, he's out doing his paddleboard thing. Is that right? Yeah. Paddle Pud Chud. There, that's the name. Yeah. That's his name. Paddle Pud Chud. Paddle Pud Chud. So, without further ado, let's say hi to our number one guest, Luke and his little buddy Randy, hanging out there. Hey, Randy. Where are they from? Washington, Tennessee. Mm, no. One of those states that serves pizza. One of them. <laughs> I can't remember which one. Neither. But yeah, we got the one and only, Mister. Jim Bergman from Measure Quick. Awesome. All right, turn that off. Super, yeah. super excited for this show. Because last time we had Jim on, we were left with a lot of sort of unanswered questions, conversations that were left open ended, and a lot of a lot of fun things that didn't get handled. Yep. Not I know Joe. Joe had a lot of complaints that he wanted to get off his chest about Measure Quick that he's going to address tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Right, Joe? Sure. All right, guys. Well, thanks a lot for having me, and I will catch you on the next one. (laughs) Not not making this awkward at all. (laughs) Right? Thanks, Bill. Way to go. We got all good things to say. It's a a great service. It's going to level the playing field and change the industry for the better, 1,000%. Well, we hope so. (laughs) Go ahead, Adam. You start. Yeah. So, um... Let's see here. Let's get to the list here. Um, <laughs> first off, I want to ask Jim, like, what what's like new and exciting? Like, what are you guys? What's the new? Uh, anything new? Technology oh, you're working on? Well, I mean, we're we're working on we're working on several new tool integrations. Some I can talk about. Some I can't. We're going to finally get the field piece six. What is it? Six eighty and four eighty. I think the two electrical meters. Uh, the guys are wrapping them up now. We we got the meters talking. Now we just got to get them. Um, uh, mapped over to the different points um we've got uh we're doing a lot on the uh on the on the cloud side for pre-population so you can like go in and get projects set up and assign them to tax before they you know before they actually go out to the job site because right now you have to set it up on the job site you know if you're not within a quarter mile of of where you're um, working, you won't see it because we we didn't want to bring up like a list of ten thousand sites somebody might have. We just want to bring what's in your local area up. So that's you know that's uh, that's in there, but it'll allow you to do some things like that. And we've been um, you know working on uh, those are probably the biggest things we've been working on, along with um, just you know, like general optimizations to the application software, making things work smoother. Um, you know, there's there's always I mean we have a two year development roadmap. There's always like a laundry list of things I can't even think of. I think we just rolled in the um, UEI Hub Eight because we had some people that were buying that kit and wanted UEI Eight in there. We didn't we had the six in but not the eight. Um, and then probably the biggest things we added most recently were uh, multi circuit and multi stage. So you can do up to four stages of cooling or 
um, or up to four circuits uh, simultaneously with like 30 probes of the field piece probes. So there's, Sweet. there's a lot of cool stuff going on. It's just, uh, it's a, a ton of, um, odds and ends, you know, more than anything. You know, I want to, I know you've been, uh, there has been an integration in place with service Titan for a while now. Mm-hmm. And I heard that, uh, you possibly are looking at house call pro as well too. Yeah, we've actually talked to them. We, we just, we're going to slow down for a little while. I and mean, we, we program almost consistently. And you get to see how fast the updates come out to measure quick all the time. There's like, it seems like there's an update every other day. And, um, uh, we're, we're to the point now where we pretty much figured out how everybody wants to use it. So we're sort of backing up and uh, rebuilding some of our frameworks, you know, because when you, when you do an, a software application like this, it's sort of like uh, the first time through it's, it's built. You really don't know how people are going to use it. So you, you come up with a, a, what we call a minimum viable product. You get it out there and then somebody wants this or somebody wants that. You sort of attach it on. It's not like an engineered solution. But after you spend about two years of, of, uh, working through it and you figure out, okay, this is what people want to do. Then you got you to sort of stop back up, put new frameworks on it, but then engineer the solution. So it's like, you're actually designing it to do this. It's not cobbled together. You know, so you guys don't see, everything looks like it runs great on the front end, but sometimes there's like duplicate code base in there. There's, there's things that we could make the app smaller, make it faster, you know, just make it overall easier to use. So, um, or, and easier for us to program. That's the other thing is, you know, you, you, you want to make it easy to maintain. So every couple of years we stop and, and then re-engineer it a little bit. And that's where we're at right now. So like doing a house call pro integration, we're just waiting till we got our, our house in order and then we're going to go back and do that. And, but part of the challenge is just, um, we have so many things going on at once around here. It's like just getting stopped to, to do that. It's been a challenge the last couple of months. So. Now, we're with, getting close with service titan um does that actually so if you have um model and serial number in service titan and or uh measure quick will it transfer the model and serial and all the data over as well as um you know the benchmark readings and everything so the out of service titan no at least right now because at the time when we did our initial integration Service Titan like had model and serial uh, make model and serial as sort of a string, so they just added as one lump of data instead of um, the way it was managed in Service Titan really wasn't designed to, to bring it into Measure Quick and be able to parse it. It's not even comma delimited; it's like just a string of data in there. So we we're just talking to Service Titan the other day just to see if they have it. But for us, we just store it in our cloud, you know. So we're pulling in like think of um, uh, Service Titan's a CRM. And measure quick is all about the measurement. So like we're, you know, we manage the models, the serial numbers, the benchmark, um, all that kind of data. And then, you know, service Titan's going to manage the, the customer relationship management piece, but it, um, we're trying to eliminate some of the duplicate data entry. Cause a lot of people have that data in service Titan. And from what I understand, service Titan may have changed that, but we haven't gotten an updated, uh, API yet for that. So, it's, um, you know, as soon as we get it, we can probably improve that. Um, seeing, uh, I want to switch topics here, Adam. Seeing John McMaster in the uh, chat here, the master of BMS control on his own house system. I want to talk mm-hmm. about the BMS of uh, HVAC, which is uh, the Sensi, you could say, predict. Because mm-hmm. I don't know much about it, and I know Adam has tons of questions. So mm-hmm. I don't, Adam, you start, and then I'll just come in. Um, you start with your first question on Sensi predict, because I got. 
Just a little couple of um, Well, I guess um, I was just wondering, you know, I've gone through the class, but like to talk about it to anyone who is watching right now, what are the benefits of uh, pairing Sensi Predict and Measure Quick together? Like why would somebody want to do that? So, you know, it's interesting. I don't care whether you're putting in a thermostat or you're putting in a, a Sensi Predict, right? It's, it really comes down to... Um, you're either, you know, if we're talking about a thermostat, we're talking about better controlling a, a poorly operating piece of equipment. If we're talking about Sensi Predict, we're talking about monitoring a poorly operating piece of equipment. And it all comes down to you, you've got to get the equipment running right before you're going to get the real benefit of a Sensi Predict or a thermostat. And the whole idea, we've, we've actually been talking to Sensi, oh gosh, I bet you it goes back five years now, because as soon as we saw that product, we saw like a ton of synergy because uh, the, the, the challenge with a, you know, Sensi predicts an awesome product, but it, it is a monitor. What they do is, you know, they have 10 sets of sensors and what it's doing is it's looking for change. The idea is, you know, you, you try and do it with the minimal amount of sensors that you can detect what's changing. So if you think about like, um, you know, you got a liquid line temperature sensor and you got a, you got a current sensor on there, right? So you see an increase in liquid line temperature over ambient because they're, they're pulling ambient temperature from a weather station. So they're looking at it and they're saying, okay, uh, the approach, you know, is always about six degrees. And all of a sudden your approach starts climbing eight, nine, 10 degrees, right? They're monitoring that. They say, oh, hey, the approach changed. Well, then they also have like current sensing on there. So they say, well, did the power factor change? Because if the power factor is changing, maybe the capacitor is going bad, the condenser fan motor is slowing down. Mm -hmm. Or maybe if it's not changing, maybe the condenser is dirty then. And it's just, you know, plugged up with dirt. Because now we know the condenser fan's okay, but the, the liquid line temperature is going up. And so, it's constantly monitoring for that change and they have the minimal amount of sensors to actually determine uh, whether you have a, you know, electrical problem, whether you have a, a, a following problem, whether you have a charge problem, what, you know, they can monitor your runtime. But the whole secret of this is, is you get it set up first with measure quick because what was happening initially contractors were putting this thing on and, you know, they put it on two or three weeks later after Sensi compiled enough data, it's saying, Hey, you don't have enough airflow or, Hey, you've got a refrigerant charge problem or, Hey, you've got, you know, a, a approach problem. And it was creating a secondary truck roll. So these contractors putting this stuff on, you know, and Emerson, I think at the time was just assuming everybody does did stuff right. You know, and they'd install this thing and they retro commission the system, everything be cool, but that wasn't the case. So um, it was creating that secondary truck roll. And when we paired it up with measure quick now, we can retro commission the system. And because we have an extended set of sensors, you know, we have a lot more sensors than Sensi has. We can do a lot deeper dive initially into the diagnostics. And then once we get that system optimized, we benchmark it. Now Sensi has a point to monitor from. And so it eliminates the secondary truck roll, dramatically improves the diagnostics because we can send them that benchmark early on. So they don't have to wait two or three weeks to really start you know, understanding how that equipment operates, you know, right now, measure quick said, this is what it's supposed to do and it, and then let it run. So it, it, it makes the whole system work better. And then when you, when you come out to service it, because measure quick is actually integrated with Sensi, So we can like pull in the electrical readings and things like that. You get an extended sensor set with measure quick now. And uh, we can, you know, we can pull in the, the voltage, the current, the wattage, all that kind of stuff, power factor to measure quick. You don't even have to take a meter up to things. So it just makes it like an easier, uh, a better service experience, right? And, um, you know, that's, that's the beauty of those two things married together. And the whole idea behind it 
is, 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 is there's a couple ideas. I mean, since he was rebranded a couple of different times, if you remember at one time it was comfort guard, you know, the idea was, you know, monitor your comfort. And then it was, you know, they're really focused on predictive maintenance and that's where it's, where it's really at today, but it's about like, no, before you go, um, mm-hmm. um, you know, realistically it's, uh, uh, you're, you're going to have breakdowns, but it's, it's, if you know, you got a cap failing or, you know, you got a coil cleaning or, you know, you've got a filter plugged, you know, you can, you can either call a customer and say, Hey, looks like you just need to change your filter and see if the problem goes away. Or you can, you know, you can, if you have a good relationship with the customer, you go out and change the cap, you know, on the outdoor unit, cause you don't need to have them home. You know, it's, you know, you sort of got an idea what's going on, change the cap out, put it back together. Or, you know, um, you know, it's just, prioritize uh, the call as well. yeah, prioritize yeah. the call, get the right skill level out there. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's, it's a really cool system. We've, um, I like it a lot. I mean, I put them in all my, in fact, I put them in all my kids' house, you know, cause I just, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to go to nuisance service call either. So it's, uh, so that, that reminds me of a question I was going to ask you earlier, beta testers, do you actually have like beta testing systems or beta testing homes or is this, um, like are your kids homes? Well, no, Sensi Predict's been around for a couple of years now. I mean, they, they're way, way, way past beta tests. This thing's, you know, I mean, there's probably to ten uh, probably probably approaching ten thousand since he predicts installed if not more i, I don't oh, know yeah, the number yeah. right offhand i mean so it's Quite it's, a bit. it's uh it's got a lot of them out on the market yeah it's it's pretty substantial people don't realize sometimes how big it is so i'm, th- I'm assuming they're using some kind of like thermistors like i have no idea, like thermistors to te- like just to check so, temperature and- yeah it's got it's got uh, they are using thermistors they got a liquid line and a suction line thermistor that are mounted inside at the evaporator coil then they've got a supplier and a return air sensor, also thermistors that are measuring return air, dry bulb, supplier, dry bulbs, so they get temperature split across the coil uh, for both heating and for cooling. And then they got a, a CT uh, down in the furnace that measures current, and they are also measuring voltage through a, a transformer. So it's got a an inside transformer and an outside transformer. And it's a special transformer that measures voltage, power factor, current. So they can, and they can, actually measure up to 10,000 times a second on that, uh, on that uh, device. So it, you can see things like uh, a call for ignition. You can see, you know, when the, you can see literally everything, you can see the spark igniter going, you can see if it, if the gas valve energized the whole, the whole nine yards, then outside, it's got another CT outside and a, um, uh, a voltage monitor. And, and then also it does all the calls. So it knows if it's calling for heating, calling for cooling, calling for fans. So you can see, uh, was it calling and was it running? So it's saying it's, it shows you like the fan's calling and mm-hmm. it's drawing 2.2 amps and the condenser's calling and it's drawing 7.8 amps. And, you know, here's the wattage, here's the power factor, here's the suction line temp, here's the liquid line temp, here's the, here's the temperature split across the coil, right? So, so it's pretty slick. And if you think about like a typical home, like, you know, you have your thermostat set at 74 degrees or whatever it is. Your split, you know, when we're out in the field and we're we're calculating target temp split, it could be like 16 to 28 degrees. But that's because we we're, when we're going out there, we got this crazy humidity. You know, it's 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 out of control. Humidity's through the roof, and and we gotta get the back under you know, back under control. But once you get it under control, your temperature splits typically running, you know, somewhere around 18 to 22 degrees. You know, it's it, it dials in, and then once Sensi sort of knows. Uh, how your house runs, it can dial it in even closer and say, okay, now, now we know we're looking for like a, you know, temp split between 20 and 22 degrees, let's say, and we're looking for a, a fan watt draw of, you know, uh, so many, so many, so many watts per CFM. We're looking, you know, 
these different things. So what it's doing over time is it just dialing in your appliance and sort of learning how it works. And then that's, that's how it gets stronger, better and better diagnostics uh, over time as it runs. What would be the ultimate is if you know you're going to a flat system, that would be the office. That would be ultimate. So they can they can tell those kind of things because they're looking at this they're looking at the suction line temp the liquid line temp they can identify charge problems pretty easily so that that's that's yeah. that's been there for a long time I won't tell you if it's dead flat but yeah gotcha. um you know it'll still tell you if you got a low charge issue sure so one thing that I know I've struggled with and I'm sure a lot of other people struggle with it too is uh, when you're doing a system change out and you have um, poor duct design in an existing house. And, you know, trying to get most residential furnaces, if not all, right, are rated at 0.5 total external static. Um, but then you start adding everything up, right? Your pressure drop across the coil, um, you know, your filter, yeah. Yeah, your, your filter, if you're not doing a grossly oversized filter or whatever, um, that's one thing that I'm trying to be very, um, you know, aware of. And I was that was that kind of brings me to the next thing we've been talking about it for a couple of weeks now is that uh, the TEC TrueFlow grid, I think that yeah. would be super valuable, um, preparing well, for a system changeout and commissioning a new system. Well, and this this goes to you know you're using you're using certain words, but I don't know if you if you mean what you're saying you mean because when I when I look at a system changeout, I mean a system changeout. I'm talking about ductwork. And equipment, the ductwork, the condensate drain, the electrical—you know—getting everything up to snuff. Now, if you're talking about equipment change out, that's a whole a whole different thing, right? Swapping out the box with a new box in there. Right. And a lot of times, the box is is you know, um, the, the, a lot of times the box is oversized. We all know that equipment's oversized. But here's another weird thing that's going on. You got to watch. Look, I had a I had a Moncrief furnace that was 100,000 BTUs, and it it had a temperature rise of 100 degrees. It had an airflow requirement of like, let's say, 800 CFM. So I, I go in and I put a new furnace in. I, I dropped down to 90,000. The only reason I even went that high is because I needed a three-ton drive and I had a variable speed furnace. And they didn't make the three-ton drive in the smaller uh, appliance because I do have a pretty good cooling load in the house. So I put the new furnace and it's got a 40 to 60 degree rise. So now my airflow requirement goes from like 800 CFM on heating to 1,600 CFM on, on when it's on high heat. My cooling requirement's only 1,200 CFM. So now my, my duct static, which was marginal to begin with, and I'm thinking, hey, I'm going to make some ground here because I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to downsize my furnace. I actually lost because the temperature rise was so low on the appliance. So when you're when you're looking at this stuff, you, you really got to do a, um, you got to look at your appliance. You got to look see what the center of the temperature rise is. And if you plug it into the sensible heat formula, you can calculate your, your airflow, right? So it's just, you know, uh, you just do the 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 uh, CFM equals the BTU output divided by 1.08 times the change in temperature. Just use the center of the temperature rise range. That'll tell you your approximately what your airflow is. Then if you have a if you have a known airflow and you have a known static, you can tell what your new static will be on your duct system when you install it just by doing some fan law formulas. Right? It's it's uh it's pretty simple. Not a lot of guys take the time to do it, but um, uh, you know that's that's the uh, the secret to doing it. And um, what you're going to find out in, in most cases, the biggest problem in our industry, and I've been going over this with people is a lot in the last couple of weeks, is um, they're trying to fix everything at the appliance. 
instead of looking at the system. And what I mean by that is you have a control system, your, your thermostat. You have an electrical system, which you need to check from the fuse box to the disconnect to do the contactor, make sure all the things tight. You've got a air filtration system. You've got an air distribution system. You've got a condensate disposal system. And you literally have to go through and look at all these subsystems that make up that main system when you're looking at doing uh, a major uh, change to that system, like putting in a new appliance. Because if you don't, you're doing a huge disservice to your to yourself because all you're going to do is create callbacks and headaches for yourself. You're going to end up with a noisy system. You're going to end up with a dissatisfied customer. Mm -hmm. You're going to end up going back out there again because you, 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 you try to do a box swap and it's something that should have been a, a true system swap out. Right. And we see this kind of stuff all the, all the time because um, technicians are like, they're taking, they're taking the easy path, but as the equipment becomes more and more complex, if we're not addressing the, you know, the systems and all the subsystems, we're just creating, we're creating headaches, you know, and it's, it's a really challenging time to be in the industry because the equipment, it's sort of like, um, it's, it's like a, a, a race car. It's got to be completely dialed in to get the efficiency and longevity and capacity out of it. And if you don't have it, it it's not like the old systems that you could just, you know, you had a little bit of forgiveness in. I mean, even like evacuation, if you don't do a good evacuation and get the, you know, Look at the problems we've had. All that, all that issues they had with TXVs plugging up, that wasn't because the additive Copeland put in. It was because the moisture that reacted with the additive, with the with the, with the additive Copeland put in for it was rust inhibitor. <laughs> and now people weren't evacuating properly. Rust inhibitor reacts, clogs up the TXVs. You know, we say it's a TXV problem, but it's really, you know, that's just a, a fallout of that kind of stuff that happens. So. You know, these are things that if we take the time and we, we actually address the system, then we do a proper commission, we do a proper evacuation, we, we do a proper startup and equipment, we're going to get you know, not only good longevity out of the equipment, but we're going to get really good performance, which at the end of the day is what the customer is paying for. So, Just like replacing the 100,000 BTU uh, add-on to a 60,000 the other day, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was actually today. Funny story, I... Uh... I installed a furnace almost 20 years ago at a customer's house when I was working for my dad's company. And um, I just replaced it today with, I, I did 100,000 uh, back then, and I replaced it today with a 60,000. Crazy. Yeah. So, well, I'm, I'm going through that. I put up that, that Bosch inverter heat pump in my house, and, um, you know, it only puts out about 30, maybe 38,000 BTUs of heat. And you know, obviously, it turns down way down. I don't know how far down it turns, but it can it can go pretty pretty far pretty far down. I, I bet you it goes down to maybe around ten thousand BTUs, nine thousand BTUs of heat output. And I am absolutely amazed at like you know we've had some thirty degree days. The heat pump carries the house just fine at seventy degrees. It just doesn't even it's not even budget yet. So it'll be inter interesting to see how far I can turn it down because I, I think. Not only do we oversize, but we're like way, way oversizing uh, appliances. So is, um, is it safe to say, Jim, that Nate Adams has finally gotten to you? <laughs> um, no, <laughs> but but it's uh, he has caught my ear. No, I like Nate a lot, and 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 part of the reason I put the heat pump in the house is is to uh, uh, because you know. Nate's reframed, you know, re changed, changed around some of my thinking a little bit, especially when it comes to median, uh, median uh, temperature of a home. Uh, 
and trying to run the equipment constantly. And I, I know for a fact, you know, I had this, my furnace would go down to about 35,000 BTUs, but at 35,000 on a gas furnace, I'm still cycling on a, yeah. you know, and I, I'm thinking once I hit about 50 in my house, I want the heat to be on pretty much all the time. And what I, what I have noticed is since I put the, the heat pumps in, been in for like maybe 20 days right now, but the, the house is way warmer than it's ever felt. And the other thing is I used to set my, my furnace back at night. Now I, I just keep the heat pump. I keep it at a constant 70 degrees, but I'm not waking up anymore because the, the gas furnace, every time I kick on the temperature change was so substantial that it would wake me up. Hmm. And now that I got the heat pump running, you know, continual 70, I'm not waking up anymore. So it's, it's interesting. Um, and I think, I think Nate's, Nate's probably right, but I won't, I don't want him to know that yet. So. <laughs> yeah, he, he doesn't watch this show anyway. You're safe. <laughs> Get out of here. Um, I was going to ask you too about the Bosch heat pump. Are you, cause I know there was a bunch of controversy with Steve Raritan and um, dehumidifying issues. There's different people posting on YouTube and on Facebook about the Bosch. Yeah. Um, are you worried at all about that? No, no, because uh, I actually, so I, I called, I, you know, we're in the same office as the True Tech Tools. And so the the Bosch rep is also the tester rep. And, and he happened to come in. I said, okay, just bring, he does a trainer. He, he's got it on the back of a truck. So I said, you know, bring that thing in. And let me take a look at it because I just want to see how it runs because <laughs> I wanted to fiddle with it to see if there's stuff we could do on MeasureQuick to help with commissioning those systems. So right away, what I what I, I I spent about I don't know maybe about two hours just watching the thing run, and what it does is it's uh, it it needs it requires sort of a two stage stat. So the whole thing runs off airflow. All it does is maintain a constant uh, like a suction pressure, right? So you dial in the you dial it into the cold temps forty five degrees, let's say. And but what happens is, is let's say it goes up on the on the second stage, it's running a 45 degree coil and it drops back to first stage. Well, the inverter doesn't respond for about 16 minutes. So the thing's still running balls to the walls, but now the airflow cuts in half. And so now the coil temp drops down to like 30, 35 degrees for like 16 minutes. During that 16 minute time, the thing's dehumidifying like crazy because the coil drops way below the dew point temperature. Now, because it's doing all this dehumidification, it's not doing much sensible cooling. So the house temperature continues to rise. So now the thing kicks back up on high stage and does sensible cooling again, and then it goes back down to low stage. Now I set mine up so I've got like three stages of cooling so I can drop my airflow all the way down to uh, like 500 CFM. And at 500 CFM, and I have a, I have a three ton system, right? I, dry, I can drop that coil temperature all the way down to, I've seen it as low as 30 degrees on the, on the house. Wow. So, but the, but the, all the jobs that Steven did, he has on a single stage stat and, uh, Bosch sells that with the, the 2.0 is, is two stages and you got to have at least two stages of cooling on there to make that, to make yeah. that work. Right. And the other guys I talked to same thing, they use the two stage stat and the, the, the trick I was telling Steven about this thing, he's like, well, I only got a, a single stage air handle. I'm like, just throw a relay in a box in there. And, you know, r- run the second stage off of a relay in a box. And all you gotta do is control the fan motor. Right. So just slow the fan motor down. That's going to drop the the airflow down. It's going to go, it'll dehumidify and then, you know, just cycle the fan back and forth. You just, as long as you got two speeds of fan and you could pick the two speeds you want. I mean, it's, it's, you know, if you got a, uh, an X13 or something yeah. where you just pick the tap, it's, it's yeah. really slick. But um, the reason I also not worried about it all is I have uh, a friend of mine that's a, a rep down in Florida 
and he's got he's got two of these things. He has zero problems maintaining humidity in his house. So I think it was it just came down to all control issues. And um, the other the other one I ran across was um, uh, guy had it in a uh, a crawl underneath his house, mm-hmm. and so. He, it's a, you know, it's, it's not, it's just a crawl space underneath the house and he had supplier leakage. He knew he had supplier leakage. He's like, oh, it's just dehumidifying the, the crawl space. Well, that's, that's interesting, except that when you, when you exhaust in your crawl space, then you're depressurizing the home, right? Perfect. So he's got a, he's got a thermostat wire running up through the, through the wall and in behind the thermostat. It's, it's got, you know, these new, new thermostats have humidity sensors in them. So he's pulling unconditioned air up the wall through the back of the thermostat, <laughs> and it's reading higher humidity than the space. And the w- way we found it was I told him, just, dude, take your 605H2, or he, I think he had Testo stuff, and just set it on the counter. Tell me what the humidity is. He's like, well, the humidistat must be off. And I'm like, no, I think you got a humidity issue with uh, coming up behind the stat. What are you plugging the hole with? You know, and he said, oh, there's just, there's no, nothing in there. So you put some thumb gum back in there and stops the air now from migrating behind the thermostat. And by the way, that does two things because a lot of, a lot of guys miss this. You should always be plugging your thermostat holes always, because if you depressurize your house and you'll know this because like on a, on a 74 degree day, 75 degree day, you'll be comfortable in your house. You have your thermostat set at 74, you're comfortable. And then it goes up to like a 90 degree day and it's just too cold. You're like, man, it's, it's freezing in here. And then you got to bump it up to like 76 degrees and you're going, well, you know, it's more when it gets, when it gets colder out, it's running longer, it's dehumidifying. It's all, it's all BS. What it is, is you're depressurizing your house. You're pulling hot air behind your thermostat. Your thermostat thinks it's hotter than it is because you got this hotter day and it's running longer to try and satisfy the space temperature. And the space is really 72 and your thermostat's reading 76 or 78 degrees. And so plugging that hole behind the thermostat, as simple as it sounds, you would not believe it because I look at reports on MeasureQuick. So we have cu- customers that take photos of everything that they do. I see it almost continuously is the biggest thing I see. And um, uh, I have a quick dumb question for you, Jim. If how exactly are you depressurizing the house? I guess I'm not following that part of it. So okay, let's let's say that you you re, re, you have a thousand CFM going in your return, right? Mm-hmm. And and you're supplying a thousand CFM back to the space. Agreed. Yep. So, so now we duck works outside the space. So we're thousand CFM, thousand CFM out, right? Yep. Now I have a supplier leak, hundred CFM. Uh, so I got a thousand CFM uh, of return coming in, but not. But uh, but I have I only have nine hundred coming back. So oh, okay. so now what happens is my I'm exhausting air outside through that hundred CFM. Is if I'm yeah, exhausting air out, my house is going to go into negative pressure. Okay. And if, if my thermostat wire is communicating with an unconditioned space. Or, or my electrical wiring or anything else is just going to pull down, pull down that wall. So when you think about things like pocket doors and homes, and you think about you know thermostat wires going down. You know, a guy takes a three quarter inch bit and he drills a hole to get the thermostat wire down, so it's easy to pull. Mm-hmm. You're you're pulling wall air from an in, from an unconditioned wall cavity, and that's gonna that's gonna cause problems. So that's why you know your your combusted air zone also is really important to measure, and uh, because that same thing happens. Uh, supplier leakage can cause a lot of problems. So could, okay. wait, uh, hold on, I'm sorry, Joe. No, he, he just mentioned something that I've been wanting to talk about. So <laughs> um, that's what you were just talking about is in Measure Quick under CAS, right? Yep. Okay. So can you dive into that a little bit deeper? 
That, because yeah, I'm, you know, like that's one of the the um, the items on there. I did watch a video on it, but I was almost thinking, which you know, um, you could steal this idea. Feel free, because there's a lot of guys <laughs> that are probably just as stupid as me out there. I don't know. Yeah, I, I might be like borderline on that, but I'm just assuming so. But like certain things like that, I was never familiar with until I'm watching your videos on Measure Quick, and I was kind of thinking. If you had like a little info button next to it to explain it, um, because some of those, you know, uh, I just never knew what that CAS was. And I had watched a video and now you're bringing it up now. And I think it's super interesting. So I believe there is an info button in Measure Quick for CAS testing. Uh, let me just take a I peek. I have no idea what it is either. I'm going to feel yeah. real stupid if, <laughs> if there is one. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm not even sure. Yeah. So the, um, the, let's see here, home and we'll go into, to, uh, pressures here and see if there's a co excess air combustion air uh, maybe there's not so let me see if there's one more capture pressure no there is not one for cas testing so you don't have to feel stupid all right, all right. <laughs> cool. but there is in in measure quick i believe under the support tab a uh if you dig around in there a little bit you'll find some stuff on on cas testing but let's let's talk about what that is real quick so okay. when you're when you're talking about cas testing you you have uh you can have different kinds of appliances in the space, right? CAS is combustion air zone. So you could have a, a 90 plus, right? And that's, and you could have an 80 plus and you could have a natural draft, right? So you got it. You can have forced draft. You can have induced draft. You can have natural draft, right? What we're really concerned with is natural draft appliance um, because that, that is the weakest appliance in the space. So most of the time these are like hot water tanks, right? You go, Oh, I put a 90 plus furnace and I don't need to worry about the CAS. It's like, dude, is there a hot water tank in there? Yes, there is. So mm -hmm. you do have to worry about the CAS testing because, you know, this thing about like um, uh, you got a furnace in that room, you got a little return duct leakage, right? It could be in a basement, like as big of a space as a basement. And uh, you got an open return or you got a filter slot that's open and uh, you, you know, but you go, well, I got a two pipe 90 plus, how can it be depressurizing the space? Well, imbalance of pressures in the home. So now what happens is the basement gets to such a negative pressure that it overcomes the hot water tank's ability to, to naturally draft. And when that happens, we get spillage. Mm -hmm. And we get spillage in a space. Hopefully, it's just carbon dioxide, water vapor, and heat. Nobody dies. <laughs> uh, but there are times when it becomes carbon monoxide. And when we get carbon monoxide, then we're recirculating flue gases around the house. Not, not a good thing to do. So the idea here when we're doing CAS testing is we are making sure that the CAS is not going so negative that it could overcome the natural draft appliances. And but that said, there's there are CAS depressurization limits for an 80 plus furnace. And there's CAS depressurization limits even for a 90 plus furnace because those doors on those appliances are not hermetically sealed. And I've actually seen uh, a force draft uh, a lock and bar or no, uh, the heck was it? A Viesman boiler, huge Viesman boiler, uh, get overcome by uh, a stack effect in a building. Uh, due to an elevator shaft that they had, they were doing some work on, mm -hmm. and uh, it was getting to be over 50 pascals negative in the in the boiler room we were at. Wow. So it was overcome as making the, the boiler go off in the pressure switch. You know, and so these wow. are things when we're talking about um, uh, the CAS, it, it can happen to almost any type of an appliance. But what you're what you're doing is you're there's two things we're doing when we're doing CAS testing. One is we're setting up what they call well, worst case uh, conditions. So we're going around the house and we're figuring out which rooms are pressurized and which rooms are depressurized. 
the 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 rooms that are um, like creating a, a, a negative uh, pressure on the communicating space we want to leave open the rooms are creating a positive pressure we want to want to close what we're trying to do is say okay if if we set up everything so that it was like the absolute worst case the dryers running the bathroom exhaust fans running the uh, the doors that are would be supplying air back or closed uh, and getting that house in like the worst condition it could can it still naturally draft right and so because that that's what's going to happen some days they're going to get it in the, in the wrong position and the now the draft's going to get overcome and we're going to pull the flue gases back down the stack there's some really easy things you can tell like if you see staining around draft hoods you see around a hot water tank you see the little, the little plastic rings are melted um you know that's because the flue gas is coming out and melting those or staining mm-hmm. staining on top of a hot water tank or rust on top of a hot water tank but you can't like like too many guys get, I said that that furnace fixation, we're talking about looking at the system. The house is the biggest system we have, right? And you can't just walk in and get fixated on the furnace and try and fix everything in the furnace and think the furnace is working fine because you're going to miss some big problems. And I used to, when I was teaching school, I had a, uh, uh, a furnace and a hot water tank that were, that were twinned together. And I had a, uh, a, um, uh, what are this a side, like a power venter on top of a on, on top of a, uh, a metal buses chimney that I could had a rheostat on I could turn it up and down so I get my students out there I'm like go check the furnace so they're checking the furnace and and uh, I just dial back that rheostat on on there and you know uh, the furnace would actually be spilling and the kids would like hook up their combustion analyzers and stuff and they they'd see that the pressure read positive on there. So they would just think they were wrong and they pulled the hose off and put it on the other terminal. And now it would read negative, even though it's reading a positive pressure, they go through everything looking good. And they, they'd say, oh, I'm all done Bergman, you know, come over here and ch- check this out. I say, well, yeah, you are done. Cause you just killed your customer. You're <laughs> like, what are you talking about, man? I'm like, come over here. We go over to the hot water tank and the furnace is running and all the flue gas is literally just pouring out of the top of the hot water tank because the, the, the flue pipe's not venting, right? The two draft motors off of top are just pouring out. I'm like, you went through and you tested the entire thing and you didn't even come over and look and see if this hot water tank was spilling or not, right? You just killed your customer. And it, like, you know, it shakes them up a little bit because they're like, uh, you know, all of a sudden they realize that they, they got to look at other things that connect to that venting system because all this stuff works together. And uh, you know, that's, that's the, that's the kind of problems we see in our industry is like I said, guy, guys get so fixated on what they're there for. They, they miss opportunity and there's nothing more expensive than missed opportunity, uh, because it's an opportunity to either fix something or, or, uh, make sure we don't hurt somebody right in the process. So mm-hmm. CAS testing is just literally, um, making sure that we have enough air for the appliance to burn safely without backdrafting. That's all it is. Cool. To answer your question, start, I just gotta start doing that. Do you need a yeah. uh, one of those uh, super? Yeah. Do you need like so, a super sensitive manometer to be? Doing yeah, you really do. I, we yeah. we tried doing it with a the, the Testo and the field piece manometers. We like bumped out the resolution in the software a little bit to see if we could get a little bit more out of them. But the problem is, is uh, they're piezoelectric sensors, so they all drift, and that means when they change in temperature, they the sensor will drift a little bit, and. What uh, like Tech's got a DG8, I believe it is. It's their new their new uh, um, compact uh, manometer, and it's like it's like half a blower door gauge, and it's half the cost of a blower door gauge. So like a five hundred dollar manometer, but it's got uh, I think it's got half Pascal resolution on it, 
Well, what, what a blower door gauge does is it constantly re-zeroing. So here, going click, 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 and it's opening up the atmosphere, re-zeroing the sensor, and then measuring again. You know, and then it re-zeroes and measures again, re-zeroes and measures again. It's the only way you can get that kind of a resolution. And a resolution means how much you can resolve. I mean, how small of a change you can detect is resolution, um, you know, versus accuracy, which is how close it is to the actual pressure you're reading. Uh, you need to be able to resolve very small changes of pressure, and that's what a blower door gauge does, or or a DG. I think it's the DG eight is what that what that is. Yep. Um, it's a great little manometer, but it's expensive. But it's just one of those tools that you should have if you're going to work in the HVAC industry. But that comes in the 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 new TrueFlow grid kit. It comes together. You buy them together. Oh, yeah, and the TrueFlow has also got its own manometer built in, so it's. Um, you actually are getting two manometers in that. That that TrueFlow actually been tested in our shop. It's it's pretty slick. It's uh, it's a nice little product. So um, I think that's going to be the nice thing about it is it's so fast to measure airflow. And I use it a lot in my shop because we're testing like our airflow estimated airflow calculations and things like that. Every once in a while, I get a piece of equipment where it doesn't work like it's spec'd. You know, it'll have like lower airflow or higher airflow and and we're thinking there's an issue with our with our calculation, so I can grab that true flow, throw it in, and see what the heck's going on. And uh, it's actually, I think, a little bit better um, accuracy than it's. You know, I think the true flow used to say it was like plus or minus seven percent. I think they're dialing it in, so it's a little even a little bit better than wow than that now. So it's it's a pretty good product. It's nice. it's a really good product, and it's way easier to use without all those hoses. I mean, you literally yeah. just drop it in the in the in the return here. Correct. Yeah, yeah and you got awesome. you got a measurement. Probably takes like a minute and a half, two minutes to get a measurement off. Uh, you get a full you know airflow measurement off that. So well, there's, there's two guys here that are going to grab it right away as soon as it comes out. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. They, Steve Steve's done a really good job with that. So it's a cool product. Now we're talking about ducks. The, the one thing I want to mention was. Uh, in quick test mode, the duct leakage calculation, summer's coming up, and uh, I always hear it. Um, I'm not getting you know enough this upstairs. I think I have leaks in my duct, yada, yada, yada. Is is this handy for applications or houses that don't have, let's say, uh, uh, supply, uh, sorry, a return or supply? Or, uh, let's say they're all in conditioned space. They're not in the attic or not in crawl space. Is it still handy to do a duct leakage test? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh... There, well, there's two things it does. One is is duct leakage, and the other one is capacity loss, right? Because right. there's there's two things that are happening there, right? We can get we can get um, uh, like just heat gain from being uh, ductwork running through an attic, right? Absolutely. And you can um, so what what MeasureQuick does is it's a screening. It's just like you used to set up on a mixed air and economizer where you measure the outdoor air temperature, you measure the supply air temperature, you measure yep. the return air temperature, and use, uses mixed air yep. formulas to yep calculate the leakage now what's different on the measure quick calculation is number one you want to use uh two sensors when you're doing you want to have one sensor on each side of the fan inlet because the air if you have a duct leakage it'll tend to to like laminarly flow up one side of the blower or the other so unless you're measuring on both sides and in the volute you know on the inlet to the fan where the air is turning and mixing you may miss duct leakage so you want to have one in supply two in the, at the fan, one on each side of the fan inlet, and then one in the return. And the return one's literally the, the face of the return air grill, right? And then what you do in MeasureQuick is you enter in your, your return air. Um, if it's an unconditioned space, you would want to enter in 
that whether you have a square or round duct, the diameter of the duct, the length of the duct, the R value, the installation, it'll 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 run the calculation and it'll tell you. And also, it measures uh, supplier static at the same time. So what it does is a basic. It or maybe it's return air static uh, or total. I can't remember off the top of my head. But what it does is it then normalizes that for 25 pascals because our industry standard for like a, a duct leakage test is what's my leakage at 25 pascals of pressure. So in Measure Quick, what we do is, because you're using your blower, which is running like half an inch of static pressure, yeah. then we normalize that and, and tell you what that leakage is at 25 pascals and also what your uh, what your leakage is and what your uh, what your loss is, your BT, BTs and losses. So that you can you can see you know maybe you're maybe you're picking up a lot of heat from the duct and you need more insulation on the on the return because it's running through a hot attic or whatever. So um, it does it does both and it it, it it's actually very accurate, um, you know surprisingly accurate, and it's it's using just basic science we've used in our industry forever to set up an economizer. I mean it's nothing nothing magic about it. It just you know does all the calculations for you. So basically, you need at least three three sensors if you don't have attic. Uh, yeah, I would I would do four. So I do, like I said, supply air, because we're, what we're doing is we're doing our estimated airflow calculation. Yeah. So if you put it in the cooling, the big thing people, the, the big problem with leakage is actually return air leakage when you're looking at most systems, because the way people build return air chases and they have, you know, uh, decking and stuff that's not, that they're pulling air through, um, you know, but when you're pulling in 130 degree air from the attic, like in Southern climates, yeah, that really erodes your capacity really quickly. Yeah. So that's, that's what we're primarily looking for now. Measure quick cannot measure supplier leakage. You need a, you need a duct blaster to do that. Okay. Um, you know, so, but returns are where most of the problems are actually uh, show up. Sure. All right. Adam, do you have anything uh, also not on the uh, duct leakage? Um, no, not on the duct leakage, but, uh, speaking of pressure, I did notice, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of going through, I'm finding new sections that I've never seen before in measure quick. I was, I was using measure quick for a while, but kind of just like basic, turn it on, turn your probes on, superheat, subcooling. That's what it is. And there was a couple of circumstances where I did the full workup, um, with B2 output and everything like that for mm -hmm. uh, a few systems. But I've noticed sections I've never saw before, especially like the furnace, um, where you're measuring, um, inducer pressure. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. What, so what is that actually, what is that doing? So you got a, you got a pressure switch, right? Right. And, uh, and your pressure switch is, you know, let's say it's set at uh, 1.2 inches or 0.5 inches or 0.7, whatever it is. Right. You, you don't want to be in a threshold of, of, uh, what that pressure switch is going to cut out or it's going to flutter. So you typically you want to be about two times what the pressure switch setting is at. So the induced draft pressure, like if your pressure switch is set at an inch, you should be, you know, pulling about two inches on, on the, uh, on, on a negative pressure switch on there. So what we're, what we're doing is just when you, when you're going through the profile and you tell us, Hey, here's my, uh, here's my pressure switch reading. Right. And we measure your, your, your uh, induced draft pressure. It's telling you, do you, you know, is it getting too close to that threshold where you're going to have an issue, right? The other thing you got to watch, and the other reason you should always watch, a, a lot of guys don't watch it and they, they don't understand why it's so important, is if you have uh, a 90-plus furnace and you have uh, 
water backing up in the secondary heat exchanger because it's not properly tra- trapped. The reason we have to have a trap on a 90 plus is because the induced draft pressure is pulling a negative, right? It's pulling, mm-hmm. it's pulling, it's sucking water. on the heat exchanger. Yep. So if it's if it if it doesn't have a trap on there, it's pulling the water up backwards. So whenever you like shut off a 90 plus, if it starts pouring water out, that's a big problem, <laughs> right? Yep. Because it's it's it it's overcoming the trap and it's pulling the air up. So what happens is it runs for a long time, and that water can't drain out, is that it starts blocking the secondary heat exchanger, and then you start losing your secondary air that goes into to your burner. Your primary goes through your Primary air goes through your burner. Secondary air goes in around the heat exchanger. When you start choking off that secondary air, you start making massive amounts of CO. Uh, Bill Spohn and I went out. We did a, a expert witness case a couple, I don't know, probably 10 years ago now, eight years ago. And uh, we caught water backing up in the secondary heat exchanger on, a, on an appliance. It got up to 17,000 parts per million before we stopped the measurement. Wow. I mean, so what will happen is it'll – It'll run fine, run fine, run fine. Then you start seeing it creep up, and then it's like a hockey stick. It just goes through the roof because all of a sudden you hit this threshold where you don't have enough oxygen to support all the carbon in the fuel, and then it just goes crazy. When you're talking parts per million, it doesn't take a lot of change uh, for that to happen. So we're we're doing a couple things by watching that induced draft pressure. We're making sure that it's not – you know, we're making sure that you have enough and that it's not dropping off. Right. So when I'm looking at that gauge all the time, what I want to see is once it's once it's up there, it holds up there. And, you know, things can happen like to your your bearings on your reduced draft motor. They're going bad as the motor runs. It heats up. A lot of times you might identify that with your amp draw, your meter. And like a, you throw an amp clamp on there, you see the amps climbing on the induced draft motor as it's starting to seize up. But the other way to test it is through uh, washing up induced draft pressure. As it ceases up, it slows the fan down. As it slows the fan down, the induced draft pressure starts to drop until it shuts off on the pressure switch. So that's why we watch that reading. Cool. Um, Adam, did you want to go through? I, I'm saying Adam because I don't think Bill has done this with the blue flame. Anything no, with the blue flame? Like none sight, of this. Sighting off the profile or anything like that? So the blue flame. Oh, I had questions about there was. Uh, what was it now? I don't, I did not, you caught me off guard a little bit, I think. Uh, it is, it is cooling season, you know, we could talk about the blue flame, but yeah, you're right. You, you guys are, you guys are, you know, I know the Canadians up there still think it's winter time, but <laughs> I still have a going something like, just like you guys, listen, we're not too far yeah, off. But, we, yeah. but you really seriously though, you should be using your combustion analyzer year round. Uh, a lot of, a lot of guys, absolutely. They're like, you know, it's, oh, I don't need a combustion analyzer because I, I, I don't work on that many furnaces. And it's like, if you work in a home where there's a gas meter attached to that yeah. house, you need a combustion analyzer, period. Listen. And and you need to be using that thing year round because the hot water tank runs year round. The gas furnace runs or gas stove runs year round. The, the dryer, gas dryer runs year round. And guess what? Your sensors are going bad in that thing, whether you use it or not. If you buy a combustion analyzer and you set it on your shelf a year later, it needs calibration period. It just needs it because they're chemical sensors. The chemical sensors are always absorbing oxygen out of the air. They go bad. You can't stop it. The date from the day you buy it, it's it's the only product you buy and it's going bad, whether you use it or not. Right. Uh, But it's it's just part of the maintenance. You just got to send it in once a year. Get a cal, you know, get uh, get it calibrated. Sometimes you need to get new cells in it. But the thing is, is you can't overuse it. You're you're not going to wear it out by using it. You're you're it's going to wear out whether you use it or not because the cells. It's just like a smoke detector in your house. And it lasts for five years. You got to buy a new one. 
right? right. Because it's ex- the chemical eventually expires in there. So important uh, thing to know. The, up here, it, it, it's cold. I, I If I show up to a house and I see a natural drafted uh, boiler, I have to do a combustion test on it. It's by code here, no matter yeah. what, you know. The one you gonna I, I was going to say the measurement, I just thought about it when you were saying outside air. I'm actually thinking on the blue flame and you look at a measure quick report, there's a spot that shows outside air. Um, yep. And I was wondering because I, I've been used to using the, the back rack Insight Plus and I picked up the blue flame to try to use and you know, directly. With, I know I could use the back rack as well, too, but I don't know. I just like buying tools. Stupid. <laughs> yeah, like so the the um, the reason we're measuring outside air, I believe, is we're also calculating the uh, the draft pressure. So when you're looking at at natural draft, as the outdoor air temperature goes down, the natural draft increases. So there's actually a formula that tells you based on your outdoor air temperature and your indoor air temperature what the amount of drafts and the minimum amount of draft you should have. So like on a, like a 90 degree day, you might have almost no draft. And on a zero degree day, you have a lot of draft, right? So measure quick is just doing a calculation in the background based upon that, that uh, outdoor air temperature. Um, Cause remember we're calculating targets for everything, right? right? What that draft pressure should be. So I believe that's what we're doing with the, uh, with the outdoor air temperature for that. And the other thing we, we do it for is just so we, 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 we get an idea of, um, you know, just environmental conditions, like for air conditioning tune-ups or gas furnace tune-ups, you know, what, what was the weather when you were doing the, doing the check, right? So, but I believe we are using that in, in the gas to calculate the, the uh, draft pressure. Cool. Got to start. Uh, I'm trying to fill all the blanks, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I, that, was a, that was kind of another thing, too, when you're using MeasureQuick, is there like certain things that you have to, if you're going to um, benchmark a system that you really should be filling out and other things where it's like, well, maybe you don't necessarily need all the measurements. You know what I mean? Like, So that's a good question. And, and uh, we, we get that, we get that a lot. And it's like, if, if you think about most air conditioning systems, there's only two things you, you can really set it's refrigerant charge and airflow, right? Everything else is sort of engineered. Right now, obviously, we want to do a proper evacuation. That's critical because we don't want to have any non-condensables in the system. But just, you know, once we get the evacuation done, we're talking about the, the big two things there are, are charge and airflow. Right now, the we when a benchmark, a lot of people don't understand what a benchmark is. And a benchmark is is actually like capturing the personality of the equipment. Like, let's say you got two two ton systems sitting side by side. Right. One's got a 50-foot line set. One's got a 150-foot line set. One of them's going up, you know, up the side of the house, you know, 20 feet before it goes into the attic. The other one's popping right through, you know, right through the basement, and it's no lift, no lift at all. One of them's got a uh, uh, all the all the ductwork in a conditioned space. The other one's got a, in an unconditioned space. One of them's got a 16 by 25 filter. The other's got a, you know, a, a 16 by uh, 20 filter, right? Whatever it is, they're, they're different, right? But even though the equipment's identical, that equipment is, its operation is going to be a function of its installation. So when you're doing a profile in measure quick, right? We're saying best guess, right? Based on what you're telling us, it's 410A, it's a 13 sear, it's, it's got a target superheat of 10, it's got a target subcooling of six, you know, whatever it is, measure quick's looking at that saying, okay, here's how we're thinking it's going to, it should run, right? So the big thing you don't want to get fixated on is is really what what your pressures are, like your high and your low pressure, because there's targets for those, and we're saying here here's about where your target should be, 
but it really comes down to, you know, your, your line set length is, is a big factor in there. Because if you have a really long line set, you're going to have a lot of pressure drop in, a, in the suction line before it gets to your compressor. You might drop you know, two or three PSI in the suction line. Uh, you may drop more on there. And that actually comes with a capacity loss in the machine. You can actually lose, you know, anywhere from uh, one to, let's say, one to eight percent of your capacity by having a really long uh, suction line on the machine. And so... Pressures are the one thing I don't fixate over. What I really fixate on on MeasureQuick is my either my subcooling or my superheat target, right? Because that tells me I got my right amount of refrigerant, my evaporator, my condenser. And I always look at both sides of the system, period. I want to make sure I have enough subcooling that my I get a liquid seals for my condenser and I have the correct amount of, you know, a reasonable amount of superheat. Even on TXV systems, really important. I just was working with the contract the other day. He uh, put everything together. He's running like two degrees of superheat. I said, well, did you check the TXV bulb? He's like, yeah, you know, you couldn't pull it off if you hooked it to a trailer hitch. I'm like, did you did you insulate it? And he's like, no, it's the, don't need insulated. It's in the supplier stream. I'm like, do me a favor, dude, just insulate the bulb. So he goes and he puts, you know, some foam insulation around the bulb. All of a sudden, the superheat goes up to like six, eight degrees of superheat. And I said, well, you know, the bulb works off two things, right? It works off of, it works off of, uh, um, you know, it's basically, it's, it's driven off temperature, right? And we got an external equalizer that's looking at pressure. So what's happening is your bulb is, is getting warm and uh, it's it's picking up, you know, it's picking up heat and it's overfeeding the evaporator. It's overfeeding. So, you know, just putting some foam around that thing, you know, and insulating the bulb took care of the problem. And these are things that, you know, if you're not looking at both sides of the system, you're going to miss. Now, the, the other one is really important is, is airflow um, because airflow is going to dictate how much cooling you do versus dehumidification, right? And uh, oh, we always want to be above 300 CFM per ton. If you drop below 350, you're not gaining any additional dehumidification capacity. What a lot of guys don't realize is that latent load is reserve load. So you're not, you're not gonna, you're never gonna do latent cooling unless your coil falls below the dew point temperature. So if you set up that equipment you, and you shift the latent sensible split, like let's say it's, you know, at 400 CFM, it's a, it's a 0.75 uh, and it, you drop it down to 300 and let's say it goes down to 0.68. I don't know, some kind of shift in there. You just said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to give it additional latent capacity and I'm going to sacrifice my sensible. sensible yeah. So what's going to happen is your equipment is going to run longer to satisfy the sensible load. And everybody goes, well, it's dehumidifying more. Well, no, it's not. Not if it's not dropping below the dew point temperature. So like low airflow in Arizona just robs the system of capacity, period. Right now, if you're where Brian Orr's at in, in Florida, they actually they actually have a, a substantial amount of latent and sensible. And they tend to have really large systems, like they'll you know go to a five-ton system, but then they'll throttle it way back on the airflow so they can get the dehumidification dehumidification because they're dealing with a lot of heat and humidity, right? So they do run their systems at 350 CFM per ton, but Arizona, they want to be at 450 CFM per ton, Ohio, 400 CFM per ton. So I, I pay really close attention to where my airflow is set on the machine. And, you know, and then the other, the other piece of that, when you're watching airflow is you're also watching your static pressure because, um, uh, and you're going to see a lot of these ECMs, um, they are, once you get about 0.7 inches of static and a, a total external static, the ECM just starts falling off, right? It just it just can't do the work anymore. 
And so you end up with ECM drawing a lot more amp draw and not producing a lot more usable work. And then you get what's called a high fan watt draw, which means you're using a lot of watts per CFM area you're moving. And so big efficiency loss in the system, right? Those are the things I look at. And so once I get the charge dialed in, the airflow dialed in, I look at my pressures, make sure they're, they're reasonable. And then I benchmark the system and that sort of locks the pressure targets and which are, and those pressure targets are, are actually design temperature differences. So it's how much colder the evaporator is than the return air and how much hotter the condenser is in the outdoor air, right? And the thing is, is you, you don't, you gotta make an educated guess, but like if you took a, a Lennox uh, or a, I've seen some of this new train and some of the new Lennox and some of the new Goodman stuff, that is running a 10 degree DTD, right? They got the huge, huge condensers and they run these really low DTDs, design temperature difference or yeah. CTOA condensing tempo for ambient. So um, they do that because they have a, remember BTUs are a quantity of heat. So if we're gonna reject the same quantity of heat at a lower temperature difference, we need a larger surface area to reject the heat. And then we go like an old six year right? We have a really small coil, but a really high temperature difference. So it can also reject the same quantity of heat, but it does that at a higher head pressure. So it's, it's all about balance. And once you get the system balanced out, then we benchmark it so that we now what that does is really cool with benchmarking is we know exactly what the pressure should be compared to the load. So we know if we're starting to, you know, the condenser starting to get dirty or foul or things like that, because now we're not instead of an educated guess where the head pressure should be, I know exactly where it should be. So now that the diagnostics and measure quick become exponentially more accurate because we've optimized the system, we've captured its personality in the benchmark. And now everybody that goes out is using that same uh, tribal knowledge about how that system is supposed to work to make their assessment of what's wrong with it. That's, that's the name of the game right there. So go ahead. You know what? I was just going to say, Adam, for someone like you um, that has, uh, I forget his name. What was his name, Bill? His employee? He was just learning. Johnny Wang. Yes, yes, yes. It, it's mm -hmm. it's great for him because that's a good stepping stone for him. Somebody just, you know, get out of school or just, you know, they have they don't have to go so in depth. You could just, let's say, charge a unit just by, since it's benchmarked already, by a, uh, what's called non-invasion testing or whatever. And we, we do a lot too. We have a lot, of, a lot of our bigger customers. The big thing that they do is data streaming. And yeah. so they'll send, they, all, they have a lot of installation crews. The installation crews are installers is where a lot of guys start out because they know that they, they know how to do the mechanics of things. They know how to hook up the line set, hook up the wiring, hook up the thermostat, but they're not skilled in, in diagnostics yet. Right. So we ran across one just the other day, had a contractor uh, I was doing some training with and, and, uh, He's like, hey, there's one of my Texas streaming data. Let's look at it right now. So I looked at it and I'm like, I'm like, whoa, this is really weird. MeasureQuick's picking up. It's got a, a missing metering device, but the the pressures don't make any sense. So I go in and, and our, when you're streaming data, you can actually go in and see what the model numbers and serial numbers of the equipment. So I look at it and he's got a, uh, a three ton condenser and he's got a two and a half ton air handler. And I'm like, oh, well, there's your problem. But I couldn't figure out what the heck was going on with the metering device. And so I got, I'm driving home and I'm thinking, I'm, I called the guy back and I said, hey, you guys are using pistons for metering devices, aren't you? And he goes, yeah, yeah, we, that's what we use on a lot of these units. They're Goodman units, so they come with a piston. And I said, well, does that piston come in the bag? He goes, yeah, it comes on a condenser. The guy's got to put it in the evaporator coil. I said, well, mm. you better tell that guy that's swapping out the air handler. He's also got to swap the piston out again because he put the wrong... 
he put an oversized piston, an undersized evaporator coil. Software picked it up. MeasureQuick picked it up. I didn't even get it myself. I've been doing this for years. It caught me off guard because I didn't think about because I'm so used to TXVs now. I didn't think about somebody actually throwing the wrong metering device in the in an undersized evaporator coil. So what size did he put in? A, he put the three ton he, in it. He put the three ton piston in a two and a half ton yeah. evaporator. So it was that flooding back. Then? Yeah, MeasureQuick picked up the piston was either oversized or missing. Okay. Because it's 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 a three ton piston and a, and a so you got a you got an oversized condenser, undersized coil, and oversized metering device, and the software picked it up, but I, I I was looking at it and it just wasn't registering. It just didn't make sense. But it's because I didn't have the intel to know that it was a piston because the guy actually profiled it with a TXV. You know he he didn't he didn't go through and change the metering device. So I thought it was a TXV, and then as we're chatting with the with the with the guy, I find out it's a piston. So. But those are the kind of things when you stream data that you go, you know, the installer wasn't very happy because he had four systems he was putting in and he swapped around two of the air handlers by accident. Mm -hmm. He was a little torqued off. But for the company, you know, now they've, yeah, they caught it. They're not going to have equipment failure. They're not going to have a dissatisfied customer. You know, they got a, you got an irritated installer because the guy's got 20 years experience. He just made (laughs) a simple mistake, you know, but they, they, um, you know, just think about just the the social media outlash they're going to get from a customer that they get they spend top dollar for a system and it doesn't work right, right? So those kind of potential problems are averted. But it literally takes us if you stream data, you can you can look at a system and when the five minutes, I, I usually look, I look at the superheat, I look at the subcooling, I look at the total external static pressure, I look at the sensible capacity to make sure it's ninety five percent or higher, right? I look at the fan watt draw, and if those things fall in line it's good to go. Right. And, and, uh, those are the things I I'm always looking at when I just skim through a report. And then I'm also looking at like, you know, condenser Watts and evaporator fan Watts. Cause I see sometimes people either get them reversed or they, um, they measure the, like the same one twice. So they'll measure inside unit for both condenser and evaporator. Cause they're not paying attention. Um, but those are the things we look at when, when we're like evaluating those reports. So. Nice. Um, so did you end up w- with your Bosch system? Are you, did you, were you able to come up with something that measure quick can do with an inverter? Like, are you looking at starting to work with inverters in the future? Yeah, we're, we're, we're looking at some ideas because the, uh, the inverters are, are, are really, they're, they're quite interesting. I, I honestly think it's going to be the, the future of HVAC because, you know, if you look at that Bosch unit, you just re- reduced basically eight SKUs down to two. Right, because you got you know ton and a half, two, two and a half, three, three and a half, four, four and a half, or well, four and five ton. Right, so I mean, and uh, you could you could just you could, could just sell a heat pump. I mean, I you know after after um, you know I mean I, I bust Nate's balls all the time, but you know I, I do respect the guy. He's a really really I think brought a lot of awareness to how good heat pumps can actually heat homes. Because when I was growing up, my dad was like, yeah, you never want to put a heat pump in the, you know, they're, they're cold, they're miserable. But it's because back then they didn't know how to do like defrost cycles. They didn't pull in, you know, there's a lot of stuff. Today, they're actually really, they're, it's actually amazing how good the heat is. I'll just tell you that straight up. I'm, <laughs> I'm amazed that it actually works as good as it does. But the, the, um, the thing is, is that after putting a, um, a heat pump in, I don't think I'd ever sell anybody an air conditioner anymore. Damn. As far as I'm concerned, I think that you just get rid of air conditioners altogether and just uh, the That's only right. thing we should have is heat pumps because 
it doesn't make sense to sell. I don't care what climate zone you're in unless, and you know, even Brian Orr needs uh, heating once in a while, right? I mean, even he's down in almost in Miami down there, they still need heat once in a while. So, and, and you guys in Canada, you need heat. How many mild days do you guys get in Canada? I mean, your summers are pretty much our, our, our mild days in, uh, in Ohio. You guys probably. Uh, I'm I'm right across the board. I'm not that cold. Not here. that cold, but you know it does. <laughs> I hear you. What you're saying it, it, it. It does make a lot of sense to have one appliance that's doing both. The Absolutely. thing that 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 Nate's got going for him right now is electric costs are really really low. I mean, uh, and so it does make sense, you know, to use the the heat pump, and it actually makes sense to use it down to fairly low temperatures because it uh, they're they're doing pretty good. They got pretty high COPs, so it's interesting. But yeah. as far as measure quick goes, the way these inverters are running, we're seeing a lot of different ways that they run. So we're almost going to have to write some custom programming for like a Bosch unit versus a train versus, you know, uh, the really hard ones for us to do right now, or and actually for the entire industry to do are the, uh, are the, like the, the built up VRF systems where you got multi heads. Cause I, I don't know, there's a, you know, the only way to properly charge those if they lose gas is to pull the gas out and weigh the gas back in because you just can't, you, you can't charge it by superheater subcooling. You know, there's just no way to do it. It's, it's impossible. So uh, those are going to be, I think a big pain in the butt for the entire industry, but the inverter stuff will be able to figure out. It's just going to just understanding the different characteristics of inverters. And there's like no industry standard right now on how that stuff is, you know, it's, it's, it's all proprietary. It's all unique to the, to these companies so now joe keeps telling me to ask questions because he doesn't want to talk for some reason i think he's bashful tonight or whatnot but um yeah i think this was kind of where we ended the last the last time you were on was uh hoser hvac is pleading with you to reconsider a monthly subscription <laughs> because he does not he has a company that he works for that does not um they're too big or they just the owners don't want to pay for it and um i guess he wants to pay for it out of his own pocket we have we have lamented this probably been the, the most challenging thing for us is trying to figure out how to how we want to monetize measure quick because you have a, a lot of people like if we just put a price on the reporting and said okay this is what we're going to do. They're just going to say, well, that's good enough for me. This is what, what I want. And then they're, they're not going to use measure quick to its full potential. And the thing is, is that what people don't realize is measure quick is free. It's literally free. You, you, you know, it's like, it's to me, it's like you're saying, well, how much should we budget for capacitors this year? Who gives a damn? You're selling them to your customer, right? You don't sit down and go, what's my overhead cost for capacitors. You, you do that with, you know, with your cell phone bills and your and your your truck, you know, what your fleet's going to cost you. With MeasureQuick, we set it up the way that's set up is designed that you pass it through the cost to your customer. You can mark it up, you can pass it through five bucks to the customer, but we're storing information about their system that's a benefit to their customer. We're doing a third-party diagnostic, which is a benefit to the customer. We're handing them a report, which is a benefit to their customer. So they got some documentation. We're storing that data in the clouds so they get consistent service going forward. And we're giving them a means for non-invasive testing, right? But it doesn't cost the company anything if they if they pass it through. And we we looked at doing like a, a monthly subscription and stuff, but a monthly subscription becomes an overhead cost. When I when I just design an I manifold, you know, we tell people it was like you know forty nine bucks a month, and they're like, 
well, I only use it in the summer. I don't want to pay for that in the winter time because I'm not using it. And it's like, you know, what's going to happen to my cloud data if I don't pay for it? And, you know, all this stuff, it's like, it's really, it's really tough because we're, we're, we're trying to engineer a solution to fix the industry and right. you get people that want to use and, and And we want to give a lot away for free because, and the reason we do this is because we want techs to be able to, you know, to, to, to do their job better, to leverage their tools fully. I mean, we give a, we give a lot, we give way too much away for free. And the challenge becomes when you go to when you go to monetize it, you can never make everybody, you can never make anybody happy. And we we've tried over and over to figure out what that's going to look like, because um, you know obviously we, we've got a huge investment, millions of dollars actually in programming. We've been doing this for three years now, and you know when we do programming, it our team's been as big as nineteen people. Now it's I think about seven or eight people doing the programming. You know when we started, but but programmers aren't cheap. We hire all, all our guys are state side. They're all employees that work for measure quick. We don't, we don't do any outside programming. So those are all like real employees with real benefits. You know, it's, it's like, this is a le- legit, you know, company we're running oh, yeah, here. Absolutely. And so, um, but I, I've always had a real passion for trying to help people and get their, help them do their jobs better and give them as many tools as we can. And so, you know, we're just trying to figure out at, at the big I've engineered this whole solution. Now, how can I get people to actually use it? And it's, it's, it's very frustrating sometimes because you get, it's like we could have seven out of 10 systems have uh, charge and airflow problems, seven out of 10 across. You can see, I, show you, I can show you two or three studies today that were done in the last couple of years that's, that 70 to, 70 to 100% of systems have charge and airflow and duct leakage issues, period. You got to ask yourself, are your guys finding them that way or are they leaving them that way, right? Because if you're not finding airflow, charge, and duct leakage issues on on 70 to 100% of the systems you service, you're leaving money on the table. And the guys that go out there and, and they're, they're, they're mechanics, they go out there and see how capacitors burned out. They go out there and they're, they're charging, you know, 200 bucks, 300 bucks to change a capacitor out. And you're not looking at the control system, the electrical system, the air distribution system, the duct system, the condensate disposal system. They're just going out and changing the capacitor. They're doing a disservice to them, to the to their company. Because I'll tell you right now, it costs your company 100 to 150 bucks just to get to that customer in marketing and advertising dollars. And you just went out there and did a, a you know two three hundred dollar job that that where you could have offered your customer a two or three thousand uh, dollar opportunity to actually fix the problems that exist in their house and had you offered it to them they likely would have uh would have would have entertained at least part of that repair because they know they have issues but nobody knows it's like it's like going to your going to your doctor think about what we do as an industry we have guys that go out and they 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 literally write down the readings that they know the boss will will accept they write down you know 118 Mm -hmm. 10 degrees of superheat 10 degrees of subcooling imagine if you went to your doctor and and the nurse just stood outside and wrote some wrote your blood pressure down your weight and your, your temperature down in your chart, just, you know, and, and uh, the doctor came and said, you're perfectly healthy, but then, you know, you freaking die from an infection the next morning, right? Somebody's head would roll in our industry. We just don't have anybody that's policing us. So we got to, we got to sort of police ourselves. But the problem is, is that when you don't, when, if you don't take control, think about what measure quick does for you and your company is it takes control of the measurements it's like the one thing you don't have any visibility into as a as an owner of a company is what your techs are doing. Do they have the right tools? Are they using those tools? Are they putting the pros in the right location? 
are they are they using that data to actually make an assessment of how that equipment's performing? Are they doing diagnostics with it? Or are they just writing down a bunch of BS because they they don't know any better, right? So it it does provide some accountability for technicians, uh, and it it will make them better. If you start using MeasureQuick on a regular basis, you will be a better tech in a couple of weeks because you're going to see relationships you've never got to see before. But additionally, you're going to find problems that people have overlooked for years. And just because they, they just didn't even know they existed. And MeasureQuick will pick up things like duct leakage, missing metering devices, wrong size meter. It does 150 different problems. It's going to find something wrong with almost every system you touch. And if you're not finding those things and you're just changing the cap out, you're leaving a huge amount of opportunity for your company on the table. So when you look at what does that cost you? And people say, well, you know, first thing that everybody does when I, when I tell them, you know, it's $5 per system per year, they go, well, you know, we but do. But hold on a second. That's a little bit not true. That's what we, that's what my misconception was last time. It's not actually, well, maybe it is true, but I talked to one of you guys at your office and I asked them $5 per system per year, if you use it. If you don't right. go back to that system for two years, you're not paying another five dollars until that's you go right. back to the system. The that, second. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. We we well, we'll store the data for you indefinitely, right? So it's just once a project's open, though, it's open for the year. So like like let's say you wanted to train your techs at your company, and you had you know two systems that you had to measure quick on. You could train a hundred techs. You could stream data twenty four hours a day. You could do a bazillion reports, and it's not going to charge you anything but five bucks for the year for that system, right? That, that's all we that's 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 how it's built right so like that was one thing that kind of scared me from signing up with it earlier on because i thought well i have right now i mean i'm kind of a young company i don't have a lot of guys you know whatever but i have 14 1500 customers and i'm thinking well if i have new customers and i start adding these you know 1400 eventually times five dollars a year that's a lot you know but yep. you're really not seeing 1400 customers a year you know, right. Well, the thing is, too, is is you're only billing your customer for Measure Quick when you go out there and use it. Right. Right. And it and it literally is like like I said, it's like a capacitor. It's it's a pass through. It's what we call an operational cost, not an overhead cost. Right. Operational costs are you know are, are the consumables that you use and sell to your customer. You don't budget your furnaces for the year. You don't budget your capacitors for the year. You don't budget your wire tires for the year. You know, you just those are things you bill you you bill for. But you do budget what you're going to pay for trucks, what your what your rent's going to be for your building, you know, because those are things that are overhead costs to your company. So we we really focused on making a measure quick an operational cost versus an overhead cost, so that the person that's benefiting from it, your customer, is actually one that's paying for it instead of instead of taking money out of your pocket. And if you use it right, it's not it's it's going to not only save you a ton of time, but it's gonna it's it's gonna pay for itself ten times over in found opportunities and reduced callbacks. Because the other thing you got to remember, what's a callback cost you? You got opportunity loss, right? Because you're you could be making money somewhere else, but then you got to pay all the overhead costs to your company. You you got to pay for the wages, the 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 uniforms, the the insurance on your trucks, the truck payment. So when you're for every hour, you, if you take all your overhead costs and you add them together, right? That's the minimum your company's got to bring in per hour. You know, you add them together and just do a little bit of basic math there. You got to figure out how much does it cost me per hour to run my company, right? And that's just your break even. So 
when you, whenever you have a callback, you not only have the opportunity losses, but you have the overhead costs. So it ends up costing a typical company 400 to $1,000 $400 an hour uh, in, in, uh, in overall costs. So just, just take one callback a week and divide it by five, right? Measure quick is paid for, even if you paid for it, it's paid for for the month. But if you're not paying for it, your customer's paying for it. And that, that's why we set it up that way. Um, and, you know, it, it really, uh, but people's, people just, for whatever reason, they just don't get it yet. We get some customers that they get it and it's like, this is not a problem. This is a no brainer. They're going to, you know, that's what they want to do. Other customers, uh, they, they just can't wrap their mind around it yet. So I think, it's been a challenge. I think it might be, um, you're getting a lot of the techs that are curious and that are on, in, on you know, on the internet researching it. They're, uh, they're sold on it, but maybe they're, you know, the owners of their company or whatever, mm -hmm. their bosses are not quite well, sold on Well, you get a lot of, I mean, it, it's, I don't know. It's, um, again, it's, it's people not understanding the benefit, the, the benefits of it. And, um, I don't know, we, we're, we're seeing a larger and larger adoption of people. I and mean, we have a huge, huge number of people that are using measure quick. Um, but, you know, as we're trying to add more and more features in, improve the diagnostics, you know, uh, tied into more CRMs. It's like, you know, we, we definitely want to start growing our user base uh, faster. And, you know, so when we're looking at um, trying to like parse out features of it and sell those features individually, it that might completely erode our, our model for actually being, you know, for, for Growing, long term, yeah. for the long term, you know. I could see that. So it's, uh, but yeah, we we're always we're always trying to figure out you know different ways to uh, that we could skin the cat, but we've been working on it for four years, and this is about the the only way we can we can see that it's like long term sustainable. And we're right. doing something nobody's ever done before. I mean, right. nobody's ever nobody's ever, you know, we didn't have Bluetooth tools ten years ago, you know. Um, so and and nobody's thought about really taking control of measurements like we're taking control. But this is a big big hole in people's buckets. They just don't realize it. In fact, I, I challenge you guys that are business owners, Monday, have all your service techs come in and just, just say, hey, we're starting cooling season. I want you to bring in, I want you to bring in all your stuff, all your tools, so we can just do a little inspection to see what tools you have for, for charging air conditioning systems. I want to see your gauges, I want to see your thermometers, I want to see your, your, your vacuum pumps, I want to see your micron gauges, I want to see your hoses. I will guarantee you, you will have somebody in your company that does not have a thermometer. You'll have somebody that has one, one suction gauge or one high side gauge. And they're going to tell you, well, the other gauge broke and I just haven't got it changed yet. You're going to have somebody that's got a set of gauges. that looks like they're from 1973, you know, that are just beat to crap. And then, then take your guys and have them bleed the pressure out of their gauges that are using analog gauges and see where the needles rise. They're going to be sitting at five pounds, 10 pounds in a, in a vacuum when they're not in a vacuum, <laughs> right? You're going to have guys that, uh, and if you even want to have more fun, set a window air conditioner up in your, in your office and have, you know, 18 or 20 guys measure superheat. Just leave one set of gauges on it and have everybody use their thermometer to measure superheat on that unit. Now, you know, the superheat's not going to change because it's sitting in your giant shop and it's not doing anything and see how many different answers you get for superheat, yeah. right? Because I guarantee you have guys that can't measure superheat. You have, you have some guy take his K-type thermal couple bulb and touch it to the suction line. You have another guy with a clamp that clamps it on. You have another guy that does it another way. You have another guy that tapes it on and they're all going to come up with different answers. I like the laser one. 
Yeah, all the, the, yeah, the laser <laughs> thermometer. So if if your guys can't if you can't get 19 guys to give you the same superheat reading, how are you ever going to get any consistency to the outcome of your work in your company? Right? right? I mean, we got to be plus or minus three degrees of subcooling. Some of the Goodman stuff, plus or minus one degree of subcooling, right? I'm seeing really, really on like micro channel and stuff like that. How how are we gonna how are we gonna get it done? So it's it's a challenge. <laughs> well, Bill, Bill fell asleep. Yeah. <laughs> No, <laughs> he's in chat. Yeah, I'm well, I think the, it's uh, uh, we're half hour over our time. I think it's uh, a good time. Yeah. Sorry, guys. I didn't know it's not. Don't over. be sorry. You're, you're doing amazing. No, it's all very interesting. Pressure. I could sit here and talk to you all night long. Well, is anybody else? I mean, if there's any questions, I've been seeing a bunch of stuff blow past chat here. But well, I know yeah, if... first of all, I want to clarify something. You just had this heat pump for how many days? About 20 days. Okay, so we didn't go through a hard winter with it. No, yeah. but I got a gas furnace for that. And he has a gas furnace, guys, in chat. Trust me, he has gas still. He's uh, oh, yeah. From, you need gas still. I've got anyway. a pellet stove too, just in case the there gas furnace and the heat pump go well, up. Well, I know you're gonna start. I, I know you're gonna find the exact balance point where the temperature is gonna slip. Well, that, that's where I'm trying. That's why I turn it all the way down to 20 to see if it'll maintain down to 20. So far, I've gotten down in the in the high 20s, and it's it's been perfect so far. It's been. Well, the thing is sort of weird, and that's what. What what I didn't appreciate it till Nate. In fact, actually, I listened to Nate and I sort of blew off the whole median rain temperature, you know, um, and like, oh, that's really interesting. But uh, until you experience comfort, you really don't have an appreciation for it. That's what it is, comfort. Yeah, it is a comfort, and it's actually, it's actually, I can tell you in my house, I've I, I've only experienced comfort a few days a year. I've experienced comfort for the last twenty days. Like, wow. like I walk in and I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not getting a blanket. I'm not, you know, kicking, you know, getting my slippers on cause my feet are cold. The whole house is actually like this. In fact, I, I got a thermal imager from true tech. I borrowed it and I'm like, I have the most boring thermal image pictures in my entire, in the entire world. Cause everything's the same temperature, right. Except for my windows, my windows I can see, but literally the carpeting, the walls, mm. the furniture, everything's just sort of bland because it's all the same temperature. And so that heat pump, because it's running almost continuously, everything just gets to like this level of warmth and it just sort of stays there. So it's not, it's not cycling and just eliminating those cycles. It's amazing how much more comfortable the house got. So, you know, I just don't want to admit it yet because I gave Nate such a hard time for <laughs> last several years, but it, it, it is amazing how much more comfortable it is in the house. It's, it's very interesting. Guys, if you have any questions, please put them in the chat. ADH is saying mine runs down to 20 and holds the home just fine in Denver. Yeah, yep. I saw one on there too, by the way. Um, somebody was asking about true blue hoses popping apart because we oh. do. I do the training for uh, for uh, uh, tools And uh, just to address that, they actually had a bad – they had a the, – the, the fittings have a snap ring in them. So it's like the – they actually improved the design because they eliminated the braze so they could machine one piece of it, then it could open up the throat a little bit more. And when the, the, the outside of it's got a, a, a swivel nut and then it's got a snap ring. And so the, it's pressed on the snap ring snaps into a retention groove. Well, the, the company that made them, they didn't, after they machined them, they didn't run them through a parts washer. Somebody grabbed the parts bin and there was probably about 250 
pieces of, of, uh, of these of brass that did not get properly cleaned. So they put the stuff in the kits. And like, if you've ever been at true tech, they literally get 250 kits in and 250 kits go out. So these all went out into the marketplace and they're half and three eighths fittings and they're popping apart. And if you, if you have a fitting pop apart, just call AccuTools and they will give you another fitting. They'll mail it to you and no, you know, pretty much no questions asked. They'll take care of you because they, these should, they should not pop apart uh, ever. So um, they're, they're taking care of it, but it, uh, uh, it was a very annoying thing for all of us just because, you know, they're, they're super, super quality conscious. So um, it, but they're, they're fixing it. So, it's fixed and they're replacing the parts. Well, I'm going to ask one last question. I know this is for Chris because Chris has mentioned this in the past. Um, on the true blue hoses, mm -hmm. as you're tightening them down, you know, sometimes they're a little bit more difficult than regular hoses to tighten. Um, they just are. Sometimes I like kind of rock them back and forth. And I notice when they feel snug, the hose will still kind of rock. You know what I mean? On yeah, it's just touching it. It's kissing the gasket. So it, it, Finger tights, all you need to, to tighten those down. So even uh, if it rocks, it's okay. You don't, it's okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. It's totally fine. Yep. And those clamps, those clamps, you just finger tight. You do not crank on those like the hose. The, you could actually put a system in a vacuum and you could take that clamp, though, like the aluminum clamp off, and it would still hold a perfect vacuum. Because the the if you look if you, you look at that um, hose with a with a, a gasket goes around on the clamp. There's actually a groove and there's a, uh, a piece that pops through there that doesn't allow that clamp to squash that O-ring. You can't crush the O-ring in there. So all it's doing is holding the, the end on the hose. It's just holding it there so it doesn't fall off. It does not have to be, it, it will hold itself under a vacuum. And, the, and those are KF fittings. Those have been used in the vacuum industry I don't know, probably since the 30s. I mean, they're, they're, that's an engineered solution for vacuum. That's not something that, that AccuTools came up with. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a pretty standard design for a, a vacuum fitting. But I see the thing I see most people screw up is they over-tighten those clamps. They don't like you know, cranking them on so tight that it's ridiculous. And then the other, the other, the, the, uh, just like you said, you know, just take them up finger tight. You don't want to put a wrench on there or pliers on there and snug them up so they don't move. Because the gasket's just got to kiss the the end of the uh, um, the, the end of the flare fitting and it's sealed, so yeah, you don't need to over tighten them. But anybody that's got bad fittings, just if you go to AccuTools website, there's a contact us thing. There's a phone number there. Just call and and they'll take care of you. So very nice. Uh, I don't know. Is there anything else interesting in the chat we missed? Um, let's see. We just got a couple of people saying, "Oh, how's your electric bill, Jim?" <laughs> I don't know yet. Honestly, yes, I don't know. Uh, I'm 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 interested to see because um, I it's it's running. So this thing it uses about um, anywhere from about three amps to about seven amps. It's a three ton unit. So the highest I've seen it run, I have seen it peak out one time at about eleven amps um, for a short blip. But aside from that, it's running somewhere between two and seven amps of of and mostly on the low end, below five amps. Um, it runs a little higher in heating than it does in cooling for whatever reason. Probably because on that inverter system, they're running up the uh, they're they're running up the temperature split, so it's as high as they can get it. So what's really cool with this thing is, um, like I think the coil runs up to like 380 pounds of pressure. 
Mm. So it'll run up and it'll run up as high as it can. And it's all basic across the, you know, once it hits that threshold, it just starts backing the inverter down. So the higher your supplier temperature is, the, um, the less the delta T is across the, uh, across the coil because uh, the inverter, you know, will just ramp up as high as it can to, to get the heat up as, as hot as it can. And then it just, it just backs off as the house is warming up. It's just continually backing down. So it's, it's really interesting technology. But I think like when you're running in a heating mode, it's like you're running on a 95 degree day year round, you know, because it's, it's always running at maximum head pressure. Where in cooling, it throttles it back even further. Yeah. Cool. Let me see here if there's any other questions I see here. Do you see? Do you have any more questions, Adam? Um, hmm, I don't think so. So somebody's got one on there. The curious HVAC guy. He's very curious. He's got a lot of questions. <laughs> um, what 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 is the actual cost of a qubit, and what does it mean? A, a qubit. Think of it like a prepaid gift card, right? It's oh, yes. it's it's uh you're you buy twenty bucks a qubits is is five tests. So it's it's basically a qubits equal to a dollar. Right, it's five dollars per system per year, and um, you you put qubit. The reason we did qubits, everybody goes, well, why the heck did you do that? Why can't I just buy them? Well, there's two two reasons. Um, the, the primary reason is so we could have the ability to share uh, credits amongst a company, so that you can have one owner load an account, then everybody that's associated with that account can use those qubits. So you don't have to have individual qubits for each account that you that you have. Right. And the the uh, the the other reason that we did qubits was so that we didn't have to charge more because um, you, you have to go like on our website and load qubits up. If we did it through like the App Store or, or Google Play, you'd have to tack 30 percent on because they're going to they, you know, everybody wants a piece of your business. Right. So it was, it was also a way of and it's, it's also a way of keeping the cost down. So, to, you know, try and keep things affordable. So um, and. The, the other thing is, is, you know, not, not to have a subscription. So you can get it started with measure quick for like 20 bucks. Right. And if you're that hard up, we'll put 20 bucks of qubits or free bits on your account. So you could, you can test drive it. I mean, it's not, not a big deal. To, if you want to test drive measure quick, just call and, or shoot us an email and, and ask, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll take care of you. And, uh, but it's, it's, um, that's, that's all they are. It's just think of it like a prepaid, a pre a prepaid gift card. There you go. Uh, someone's asked me to look at his question. I have no idea where it is. Uh, I can't find it. Tell him to post it again. So going to add field. Are you going to add field piece meters to the list? Yeah, you didn't. You They'll be on by the end of the month. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're sweet. we're wrapping that up right now. So that's awesome. Yeah. The only thing that, that that's a good meter, but it's it's not near as two things. It it beacons the signal. So at first, I thought the the redfish meter was like, uh, I didn't like the idea that it connected. I really liked the idea that, you know, like the field piece probes all beacon their signal, but a direct connection reads a lot faster. So it reads like four times a second when it's direct connected. Think about like ear pods and stuff. They're like direct Bluetooth connection. The, the throughput's really high. So the Redfish meter, it reads on the app really, really fast where you only get like one reading a second off the field piece. The other thing is with the Redfish is it measures power, uh, it measures power, volts, and amps all on the same screen. So one reading, you get all four measurements. You get volts, amps, power, power factor. With a with the um, with the field piece, you you got I think it starts volts and amps, 
and you got to go all the way around the meter to get the power. And because it's an individual measurement. And if you go past off, then the Bluetooth disconnects. So mm. you've got to go around the dial because if you go past off, it's going to shut the meter off. The Bluetooth disconnects and then you got to turn the, you know, turn it back to power and then turn the Bluetooth back on. So it's a little bit clunky. I mean, it works, you know, it'll pull in all the readings and the measure quick and that kind of stuff, but it is a little bit clunky user experience compared to the Redfish. So, um, but I know a lot of people are field piece fanboys and that's, that's good. It is a good, it's a good meter. It's just, Absolutely, yeah. it's, this is why like, like we're really telling manufacturers, you got to work with us a little bit more closely because we want to help you make better tools for measure quick because um, we understand the use case a little bit better than they do and how we want to, you know, how we want to use the product to get an end result. Right. You just can't throw a radio in something and, and say it's a great tool. I mean, it, look at what, early, early testo probes, right? As soon as they made radio probes, what do people want? More distance, right? It's like this is, and the guys in Germany are like, but it's, it's wireless. And they're literally looking at one hand and the other and going, there's no cord, right? <laughs> that's, I'm not kidding you. They really, that, that's what they, they were thinking wireless was. And they didn't realize people wanted to go 150, 200 feet. They're like, well, why would you want to be over here when the measurement's over here? But they didn't understand the use case, right? And then you get other companies that see where those companies have sort of been challenged. They go, oh, we'll fix that. We'll put in a radio that'll do 300, 400 feet, right? And so this is the kind of stuff we see in the industry all the time. And we're really with some of the manufacturers reach out and say, hey, we want to make this new tool. How, how would you like to use it measure quick so we can like help, help them say, okay, well, first of all, here, you need to do this, this, and this. We need to make this. We need to make this measurement, and you got to make sure these are close together so it's easy to do. You know, just stuff like that. Just, just think through it a little bit before it's designed, because after the fact, it's it 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 makes their product look bad, and it makes our product, you know, not saying look bad, but it, it does. It's just not as elegant as we'd like to see in the final right. solution, right? Uh, he posted his uh, question again. I maybe one of you guys could. I'm just uh, having a hard time understanding it. Who is it? Uh, see chat. Go ahead. You could make it. I'm trying sense. to see the chat. I don't yeah. know. Who is it? Uh, Bordington. Or... Oh, Bob Bordington. <laughs> Bordington. <laughs> Sorry, this freaking guy. Um, how, Sorry, Bob. Uh, how do the field piece JL3KM2 manometers appear on Measure Quick as just a number or a virtual gauge? Uh, just uh, right now, there. Well, there's there's actually both. So it does have a virtual gauge where it does total external static pressure. Um, but right now, it, it's uh, in the toolbox. You get the number, and then we're showing total external static pressure on uh, on one of the gauges. And then it also, if you go into the indoor measurements, you can see the return air static and the supplier static individually, as well as the total external static. Oh, it's a double port manometer. It's oh. a Oh, that's a, those it's are two. single port. Yeah, two oh. singles that come in a pack. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. These numbers. That was one well, thing that I got uh, a little confused on, like, in the beginning, because I'm like, all right, I got all these. I got, you know, I, I actually think I messaged you because I was watching one of your videos, and you're like, yeah, I got 17 manometers connected right now. I'm like, whoa, you have a lot of manometers. I only have two. And you're like, yeah, I use them all the time. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to order some more manometers. Let's do it. <laughs> So I, I connect everything. I get everything ready. And I'm like, what the hell are all these things? I'm looking in the toolbox and I, I realize it's easier to kind of go one by one as you're placing the tools yep. in when mm -hmm. you're. Um, well, the, the other thing I do is I, I take a, I take a, 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 
a fine point Sharpie marker and I write like uh, LLT, SLT, DLT, um, you know, uh, it, uh, it, uh, manifold pressure, MAN, you know, uh, induced, induced draft, whatever. I mark every tool. So when I pull it out and look at it, I see right what it is because it's already mapped in MeasureQuick. MeasureQuick will remember all the mappings, but just like for deploying the probes, I just, I don't want to have to look and see what, what numbers this one and what's it mapped to. I just want to grab it and right. plug it in wherever it goes. Makes sense. So, and so I'll become pretty, pretty dedicated, you know, to what they're doing. Average, um, average adding productivity support measure. Also curious to not get an eye on gauges. You got to read it out loud, Joe, if you're going to read it. That's a long <laughs> question. <laughs> what is the level of effort and end-to-end -end time on average to add a new product to the, that is supported in MeasureQuick? It, it depends. Um, it really depends. So some of the manufacturers, they give us zero support. They're like, if you can figure it out, you can use it. Right. Because sometimes I think some of the manufacturers, they, 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 some of them probably order stuff from China and they, you know, they, and they don't know how it works, honestly. You know, so some of that stuff never even sees Measure Quick because we just don't want a bunch of crap in, in Measure Quick because a lot of times garbage in, garbage out. Right. Um, other, so we get calls, people ask us to we'll incorporate tools in and we we'll look at the tools and we're like, no, no, you know, it either it doesn't, it doesn't have good measurement or there's no support with it. You know, but we have to reverse engineer like a lot of the stuff we do. Um, we have to reverse engineer it to figure out how it works and and parse the, the the Bluetooth signal coming out of it because they just don't. The manufacturer doesn't provide us support. So um, some of them take us a day and some of them like the combustion analyzer, the blue flame took us probably three or four weeks because that one not only does the app get the readings off of, but you can also start and stop it. It can, you can change the modes. So you got to look at like a, 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 a blue flame has, you know, CO, it has O2, it has the stack temperature, it has the manometer, it has the uh, you know, two, two differential temperatures. So you got like seven, seven probes on it. And then they all do all these calculations, all this stuff. So that's like a really complex instrument. We, we might never do a, another like, full-blown combustion analyzer again, as hard as that was without having like some support documentation behind it. And other, other products, um, we literally can, you know, turn them on, see what they do and, and hook them up, get them running in short order. The thing is that we don't ever hook a product up without permission from the manufacturer. So, um, you know, cause we don't want to, we don't, it's sort of the wild west out there right now. You, we don't know, you know, I don't think anybody definitively knows what the, you know, what the, what the law is with that. So we just to avoid getting into an argument with somebody. We just, if they don't, if they don't want us to incorporate it, we don't incorporate it. If they do, we do, um, you know, but uh, documentation is a huge thing. And uh, so it's all, it's all over the place when you ask how long it takes to put something in and some products too, um, you know, like we look at them and they're like, we're trying to figure out how we can make it more user-friendly for measure quick because the last thing we want to do is have people go out and buy something and they're not happy with it because it doesn't work well with measure quick. So we we're like, you know, sometimes just trying to figure out a schema that we can make it all work takes time too. So. Very good. Yeah. I think we answered everybody's question. All right. Well, I'm, I finished that little glass of bourbon up, so we probably had to call it quits for the night, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You didn't want to talk about it, Adam? What's that? Or the little gift 
Oh no, that's all right. Okay. Hey, it was a nice gift. I, I, I will never, I will never uh, not accept bourbon. So <laughs> good to know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we appreciate you spending your Friday night at your yeah. uh, your lounge office. And yeah, uh, awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was good, guys. Appreciate the time. I'd like Thank to, at too. some point, too, when you do figure it out, let me know. I'd like to come over by your MeasureQuick headquarters and uh, do a little bit of training. I think that would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm uh, I'm trying to get some of that scheduled. I just had, I had uh, uh, a bunch of service managers that I've been training over the last couple of weeks, and I'm trying to get everybody through and, and done. So it's just been, I've been swamped between that and some programming we've been doing testing, so. Very but good. yeah, we'll we'll get you we'll 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 get something up on the board pretty soon. Sounds good. All right. Well, um, I, before you before you go before you, sorry, sorry, one more sorry. Appian, <laughs> Alan Anonymous. He's he, he's talking about Appian support. What do you mean Appian support? Oh, maybe he's asking, are we ever going to include the Appian gauges and the, oh, the gauges? Okay, and the stuff. And we've reached out to them. I don't know two or three times, and uh, no interest. So, Jim's trying, guys. Jim's trying, but yeah. hey, what are you going to do? Yeah, that's no, uh, like Fluke's another one that does the same thing. They're right. like they're on their own world. They're like, yeah, oh, we don't need you. We can do this all on our own. It's like, okay, whatever. well, whatever. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. We're cool. Good. Well, have a good one, Bill. Do you want to say any final words? Hey, always a pleasure, Jim. All right, yep. guys. See you next time. Yep. <laughs>